Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> Go read a book. Nice. Curmudgeon Andy says. You, you, you father with that, boy, with that mouth?
Uh, I, you know, I had, I'd, I missed you being really surly. I, I pushed the button too late. You now you're, now you're, now you're watching something. Are you bored? Uh, yeah, I was a little bored. Merry, Merry Christmas, Andrew. Feliz Navidad. Happy, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, Fröhliche Weihnachten. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. You What's that one? What's you don't that get one? That channel? No. How about Joyeux Noël? Oh yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I got that one. Uh, like a leaky maca. Yeah, no, I got that one too. That's good. This is like a quiz. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think I've run out <laughs> about as far as I can go on this game. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, what uh, it, it's the we're we're st- totally in the holiday spirit. Aren't you? Aren't you? Isn't, is the holiday has the holiday spirit taken light? It has it has it taken light at uh, at the house of Andrew. It has taken In- hold and it's shaken us <laughs> like a dog shaking a chew toy. Is that, is that because of the lice? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> For Christmas, Andy got lice um, at his house, and so we're all very sad about that, and and we feel bad because we know how bad it is to shake that out. You're you're a good man, and I I know it's tough to to make it to the other side of that one. That's and, weeks. And for the record, it's not me who has the lice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we uh, you, okay. So this is just very briefly. We've already failed at that. We we have an announcement to make. What you are about to hear, the show you are about to hear. It's fantastic. It's a conversation on a, a, a terrific film, Christmas in July. It's our holiday film. We're very, very excited to bring you this show. We love this movie. Very excited to talk at length about it. But we have we have some news. We have an announcement. It's a big. It's a big announcement. Well, I guess that depends on how how well we sell it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so the show, I we the show has been stuck in sort of uh, escrow for over a year. Uh, and we've we've it's been called movies we like, but it's been housed in many different places. And finally, after much heartache, I think I think it'd be fair to say that we call it heartache. And much, uh, um, uh, what are some other words that that come to mind for you? Um, melancholia. So, so melancholia. There was a lot of that, mm-hmm. and there was a whole lot of domain surgery. We mm-hmm. have come up with a new one, and so we've changed. We've, we've got a new... The show has a new name. The show has a new name. We have a new website. Well, it's the same old website, same old show, brand shiny new name. And the way I figure it, we ha- have exactly 65-some-odd episodes that we need to get through in order to finally take real ownership of this brand new name, right? Because we got to double what we've already done. I think so. I think yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. So and it's that, a good thing we didn't wait till we had we're like 100 episodes in. That's th- that's why there was something of a rush. Yes. Although I think you can tell there wasn't that much of a rush. <laughs> <laughs> uh the new name of the show is uh I don't know, do we need a, some sort of drum roll? Uh, Cuz it's already been changed. It's not like anybody. I mean, if you're listening to it, you've already you see it. Right. Everywhere you look, all of a sudden you're like, "Where's movies we yeah. like? Yeah. I don't see it anymore. What is this?" Go ahead. The next reel. There you go. That's that? it. The next reel. <laughs> it's the next reel. We're very excited about. We think this name. Uh, uh, we're, we're very excited about this name. It's uh, it's kind of a throwback to traditional filmmaking. Who we we are clearly nobody's doing that anymore. We we'll bring up a reel, kids. If you don't know what a reel is, wiki wiki it. More more specifically, even is old school projection. Right. Right. I mean, it does apply to filmmaking and and projection. And uh, yeah, certainly the, uh, you know, when films came on reels, it was something very tangible and kind of exciting about that. I put together many a film reel when I worked as a projectionist and uh, I, I quite enjoyed the feel of it. And now it's just a little hard drive. So. So we're we're very excited about our new uh, anachronistic uh, name of the show, and we're sticking with it. And that name is everywhere. TheNextReel.com is the website. Twitter.com slash TheNextReel. Facebook.com slash TheNextReel. Um, what am I missing? Oh, FlickChart. Yeah. Dot com slash TheNextReel. Where you can see our rankings of all of the movies that we've discussed. Not only that, we have a phone number. Andy? You're darn tootin'. What's that phone? <laughs> huh? Do you have it handy? Have you memorized it yet? 
I I haven't memorized it yet. <laughs> well, that's all right. I can uh, I can help you with that. That phone number is six five seven straight to Anaheim, California six five seven two zero one seven three three five six five seven two zero one real, and uh, you can call and leave us a voicemail. And you can call all you want because it goes to Andy's house. <laughs> that's not true it actually just goes to voicemail but we'll you know if you say something really awesome we may call you back otherwise leave us a voicemail if you have something horrible to say or wonderful to say we'd love to hear it and we may even play it on the show there is also a direct email address now show at thenextreel.com so lots of great ways to get a hold of us now we have locked it in we are the next reel and so if you go back and listen to our old shows we'll still be movies we like but starting now we're going to be the next reel. Did I yes, miss anything? Indeed. I think so. You got the email. You got the phone number. You got the website. Uh, all of the uh, accoutrements. I think we're good. We're good. All right. So we're going to, uh, because we recorded this fancy holiday Christmas episode a couple of weeks back so that we could take vacation. Uh, right. We're, you may, I, I'm going to try and actually cut out all the references to movies. But if I miss it, for, forgive me. So actually, we we recorded this pretty darn close to July, so it's actually really fitting. <laughs> <laughs> we were really planning, and now we have to go back and re-edit it with this stupid intro. <laughs> uh, happy, you know what? Happy holidays, people. We're yes. we, this has been uh, this has been a great year. We hope you are are uh, holding your loved ones close this holiday season. You doing anything? You doing anything fantastic other than holding your lice? <laughs> <laughs> uh that's about it we're gonna yeah. we're gonna go skiing and sledding and you know all those fun things that you do excellent excellent well that's fantastic happy holidays from all of us all of the the entire team at the next reel and uh make sure to to uh find us on facebook and twitter and all that stuff let us know the great movies you see over the holidays Definitely. and now on with christmas in july We've been doing this. Uh, this is our second annual holiday event. Mm. The second Comes around fast, doesn't it? Annual, it sure, surely does. Mm. Last year we talked about uh, in our our first annual uh, holiday. Uh, we're no, we're no, <laughs> we're no movies holiday extravaganza. We did the uh, the the classic 1955. We're no angels. Fantastic holiday film. It really was. It's it's a great treat. It's a, a nice discovery. It was a great discovery, and you know why? Why I love that movie, and why I I deeply love the movie that we're going to be talking about uh, this fine holiday evening is uh, the simplicity of these stories uh, of these classic films. Tonight we're we are talking about Preston Sturges Sturges's Sturges's <laughs> Preston's. He, he's not a sturgeon. <laughs> Preston Sturgeon's. Uh, wonderful Christmas in July uh, from, wow, see, now my 1940? Yeah, 1940. That's 1940. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful. This was your idea, so I'm, I'm, I wonder if you would, uh, this was your, your brilliant idea. Yeah, this was. Why, a, why do you want to do this movie? Well, you know, this was a film that I had honestly never heard of, I had never seen. Um, the only reference to Christmas in July I had ever heard was the you know annual little um things that would go on on uh, like qvc or things like that where they would have a big sale in the middle of the summer <laughs> oh, that was not that, was that they were playing this movie on qvc but no it had okay. nothing to do with the movie it was just it was a sale that yeah. was really my only reference to christmas in july followed by arbor day in september <laughs> that's right <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, And then a good friend of mine, um, who's a big Preston Sturges fan, he writes scripts and very much in the same style. He, we're talking about this kind of witty banter and that that fantastic dialogue that is missing in a lot of modern films. And he mentioned this film, and I'm like, I don't think I'd ever seen that. And he actually loaned me his VHS tape of it, which is what, what he had. This was before it had come out on DVD. And, uh, and I watched it, and it was an amazing discovery to find such a film. And it's, it's a very brief film. It's only like 67, uh, yeah. 68 minutes long. It's yeah. very brief. But man, was it a fun ride. 
Why? Why is it? Uh, why was it? Let's talk about. Uh, let's just run through the plot because I would yeah. wager that a, a lot of folks who um, who are listening may not have seen it since it's a discovery for us. Let's let's go ahead and assume that there are people who are who haven't seen it as well. Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, it's a pretty simple film. It's a um, a uh, he's not poor, but you know a. Uh, office clerk who doesn't make a ton of money he had entered an idea for a slogan in a contest at the big coffee company in town and his slogan if you can't sleep at night it's not the coffee it's the bunk nobody really (laughs) understands his slogan especially the love of his life his beautiful girlfriend betty she doesn't really get it, nor does his mother, nor does anybody else. But he is convinced it's a winner. Well, and let's let's say that the the current slogan, the slogan that the 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 company is called uh, Maxford's, uh, is it Maxford's? <laughs> that was the full name. Uh, uh, Maxford's Maxford House Coffee, mm-hmm. right? And their current slogan is "Good to the last gulp." <laughs> right. Not to be confused <laughs> with. Maxwell House, good to the last <laughs> drop. So uh, we're already getting a sense of Sturgis, uh, a sense of, of commercial satire. Right. So so Jimmy, wonderfully played by Dick Powell, um, is just the aw-shucks good guy of the story. And three of his co-workers find out that he uh, entered this contest. And so they fake a telegram to him saying that he won. He gets so excited, you know, he, he and his, his girlfriend, he, he, he gets on his desk, he announces it to all of his coworkers. These three pranksters are like, okay, we gotta, we gotta, you know, the gig is up, we better tell him before it goes too far. But then the boss comes in and the boss, you know, makes it an even bigger scene and is just incredibly excited for this guy. And, and he says, oh, I've had all these great ideas before, you know, cause he, coincidentally works at another like a com- uh, competing coffee company right so his boss <laughs> brings him in now now that he's got all these great ideas that are a, you know prize winning he brings him in and into the advertising team and then uh so now he's he's gotten a promotion and a raise he and betty go on a big shopping spree they buy gifts for everybody they know like everybody on their street uh starting with the the poor girl in a wheelchair and his mother, he finally buys her the the giant luxury sofa bed that that is a transformer. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and and then of course the uh, when he he goes and picks up the check, and it's it's very funny that he picks this this check up, and Maxford, the owner of the company, brilliantly <laughs> played by the Monopoly guy, Raymond <laughs> Raymond Walburn. <laughs> who's just he is so fantastic in the part one of the funniest things i laughed more at him than anyone else in the film absolutely but um and it's it's very funny how the naivete of the times and how he willingly gives this check over <laughs> for twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> checking just a guy walks in with a telegram <laughs> says come, that that says come by give us a call and pick up your check <laughs> and he says well okay i guess yep. guess i should do that which which it's played off well because he's he's having this major battle with the jury that's trying to decide the actual winning slogan and, and that ends up being dead- important it is a deadlocked jury and they don't tell you uh, the the split is 11 of these uh, the jury members are are you know they are convinced they're solid on what their choice is and there's one guy uh who is a, a holdout and he that you never find out why he is holding out uh and what the what the slogan is that he is um you know he's really excited about you don't find out until the very last line of the film yeah and it's it's really fantastic little bit there right um so so jimmy goes on this you know buying spree with betty they're going to get married now because they wanted to get married, but they were too poor before, which is, you know, that's something else we'll talk about is the times. But um, meanwhile, when Dr. Maxford finds out that this guy didn't really win the check or didn't win the prize because these the jury is still deadlocked, he he goes about putting the kibosh on the whole thing and 
and getting everything back. And, you know, hilarity ensues and, and confusion and all sorts of uh, wonderful bits. And it's, it's just such a fun movie watching these innocent people just who are struggling and they're poor. I mean, they're so poor they can't even get married, essentially. And having something like this happen to them and, and seeing, you know, how, how, what it does to them and how good they are with their money and everything. You know, it's not like they're, you know, just spending it all on themselves. Their first thing is spending it on everyone else. In fact, he doesn't buy anything for himself. Right. He right. Buys, yeah. Not a single her right. a diamond ring and a, and a fur coat. And she says, but Jimmy, you didn't get anything for yourself. He's like, ah, oh, my, my gift is, you know, having you in my life essentially. So, right. So it's, it's a, it's a simple story. It's a very simple story, but it's told with such crackling dialogue. And it's just, it's, it's so much fun. And as the title says, it actually takes place in July. It really has nothing to do with Christmas except this sense of spirit. Well, it's that scene. It is that there. It's that sequence where the four cabs pull up in front of their, you know, sort of tenement style uh, apartment complex, and all the kids are out playing, and everybody's doing their sort of, uh, you know, front stoop thing. And here come, uh, you know, here come these two people who have just stumbled onto riches, and all they do is, is uh, you know, their their first thing, their first choice is to share all of it yeah. with everyone. Uh, and they, I think they only mention Christmas in July. Uh, it's like Christmas, right? They only mention it once in the film, I think, but, but she the, says it was, yeah, she says it's like Christmas in July. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, yeah. It's that's that, the it, only mention. It captures that, that just sort of sense of, of, uh, you know, of giving and appreciating what, you know, what you, what you have. And, and really, I think what I, what I love so much about it is that, that, that sort of purest sense of, uh, really recognizing, what the gift is that you have been given and for him it was opportunity right it, it wasn't the material riches it was the opportunity to share with the world it was the opportunity to, co to contribute his ideas to something he believed strongly in it was coffee it was the opportunity to spend to work and live closer to uh you know the woman he loved so much and and i think those messages are really so so clear uh in this film uh, apart from being um kind of screwball yeah, it definitely has that antic style to it. You know, it has it's it's a very coming with that kind of fast-paced crackling dialogue is kind of that screwball comedy sense that that definitely creeps into uh I think many of Preston Sturge's films. Well, and this this was uh one of his earlier films that um and and did you did we actually finish the whole thing? Did you want to finish talking about the plot? Did we well, that? no. I I, I mean, it, like we, I said, it's such you don't a want to give away the story. I, I don't want to yeah spoil all. You don't want to spoil it because you think a lot of people are going to rush out and they better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, fair enough. I so I I think this is a you know Preston Sturgis is one of those interesting uh, characters. I mean, I. Uh, I, I, who who do you think, if you were just sort of, if you were asked by the man on the street, who do you think would be kind of a modern corollary to Preston Sturgis? You know, it, it's tricky. I don't know if there is one, but I would say the closest out there is probably the Coen brothers when they make films like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which actually is a direct um I mean, the title of that film is actually tied directly to Preston Sturge's film, Sullivan's Travels, mm -hmm. um, Hudsucker Proxy, Raising Arizona, that, you know, that comedy style of film that the Coen brothers have when they're not doing their dramatic Miller's right. Crossing, Barton Fink, No Country for Old Men, Serious Man types of films. When they have the the comedy, that really taps into the... Uh, the Preston Sturges style, and I, I, I would say they're, for my money, they're probably the closest out there right now. Looking at this guy is a, just a fascinating, um, a fascinating character. I did not know a lot about him, but he was uh, the the fact that he was in the uh, in the late forties, one of the highest paid people in Hollywood, not, not just writer or director, but one of the highest paid people in Hollywood that he, uh, uh, it, you know, even more fascinating. Here's uh, that, that he invented, 
uh, at the age of 16 that he took over right. the American branch of this cosmetics company and uh, invented a kiss-proof lipstick. Yeah, it was the first non-smear kiss-proof lipstick that he invented. How uh, how brilliant is that, that 10 years uh, after, uh, well, I guess it would have been sort of 30, well, 27 to... I guess 23, 24 years later that the man in the white suit is made uh, from uh, the wonderful uh, Alexander McKendrick, which is a story about a guy who invents uh, the indestructible fabric. Right. I, <laughs> like just there's that's that was a movie about Preston Sturgis. I thought that was yeah. fantastic. Essentially, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's really interesting. Preston Sturgis, he, he really had an interesting life. You know, he kind of his mom was a uh, a kind of a a show person she was always um somebody who was trying to get her son to to be an artist and and a businessman and everything and and he, and and he kind of became one of these people who really liked to do things like this invention this lipstick that he made but after that other inventions that he had nothing was working so he considered himself a failure, and he switched careers. He completely changed careers and decided uh, to become a playwright. And he started writing plays. His second play was a huge Broadway success. And then the plays after that were all failures again. And so he's like, well, I'll switch careers again. And he turned to screenwriting. And he started writing some screenplays like... The Power and the Glory, which was kind of a, a Citizen Kane-esque type of film that came out eight years before Citizen Kane. And uh, he then in 1940, he wrote a, a screenplay, Remember the Night. And from the, the success of that, he was able to take his next script, The Great McGinty, and uh, he told the studio, and I believe it was Paramount that he worked for, he said, you can have this script. I'll give it to you for a buck if you let me direct it. Because he started seeing that directing was really a great way to move forward to telling his stories. And they agreed. They actually bumped the price up to $10, but they did let him direct it. And the great McGinty, he won an Oscar for that, for writing that script. Which I think was the very first time that this had been, that the award had even been handed out. Uh, the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Um, I don't know. Yeah, is that, no, is no, that that's true? a truth. That's a truth. Wow, I'm that's amazing. Go. That's an amazing truth. It is amazing. <laughs> just, hey, man, don't I? I just deliver them. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, and so from that, he was able to do this, which is his next film, Christmas in July, and and do many great satires and just amazing films from here from henceforward. Uh, you know, you uh, like so many great sort of comedic writers i mean here he is here's a here's a guy who is uh making great films and you just you know when you watch christmas in july in july you you get this feeling that he is a um he he is really sort of cultivating his inner child you know that inner innocence uh and yet here he is by the 50s he's he's been uh drinking heavily and married four times and and uh can't can't find work uh which yeah. and and just sort of fades out uh, which is, you know, sad. It really was. It sad really was kind of a quick decline for him. Very quick, very quick. Uh, you know, stepping back into the film, what do you, is there anything of note uh, that, that you, uh, when you look at the film, what the, what Sturgis is really trying to say about sort of the nature of, uh, of the work environment that, that our hero is, is trying to climb out of? Uh well, what do you what do you what think I, it's saying about the sign of the times? Well, I mean, a couple things. Obviously, there's the big disparity between the rich and the poor, right? Um, he's also commenting on the um, the, the the contest craze that everyone in the country always has, and how people really latch onto these things as the way to change their lives and and turn it into something better, right? Mm -hmm. Which people still do, you know. This is this, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I have a comment. I'm gonna. I'm holding up okay. my finger in the form of a footnote. Excellent, excellent. And also, what I think is 
is most telling is, and actually I found a, a great article about this, but it's it's how a a person isn't you you don't no matter how good you are, there's no sense of you being talented until other people recognize you for whatever reason that may be. And the fact that it takes him quote unquote winning the contest because he didn't it takes that for his boss to realize that there's something talented in there and you can see that when he goes into the meeting when right after he's kind of been promoted and he's pitching all these ideas to the advertising team and he's got some great ideas and they're all really lapping it up and it's it, there they you can see that not only do they now believe it but he also believes in himself and it's created this 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 growth in this character and it's interesting how it takes um it, it's that idea of somebody seeing something in you for you to believe it and for everybody else to kind of tap into that too and i think that was a really interesting thing and it's interesting how that twists at the end and how all of a sudden when people find out he didn't win his boss kind of tries to take that nugget away from him which was but but that was like i i think that sequence uh, it's a sequence when he and and his uh fiance are in his new office the night you know that night Mm -hmm. uh and uh jb baxter uh is walking by the boss the big boss is walking by and he comes in and he says oh this is so fantastic hey you've got your you've got your fancy new office and mm-hmm. he says yeah that's really great you know that idea we were sharing earlier that that was a good idea earlier today right <laughs> well yes it was and so it would be a good idea still tonight right uh, well i suppose it would you know what are you getting at he said well i didn't i you know would it would it be any less of an important or of a good idea if I hadn't won the contest. Mm-hmm. And and this is where you think to yourself, okay, uh, the boss is going to come through, and because you, you already get the sense that this is a feel-good movie, the boss is going to come through, and he's going to say, well, sure, you know, sure. But he doesn't. He, right. This, that line in this simple movie really took me off guard. He said, yeah, you're, it would, it's totally, uh, the, your idea is suspect. Right. If you didn't win the thing. And he says, well, why? He said, because I am full of dumb ideas. I have a long history of bad ideas. Uh, But, you know, who's to say that this wouldn't, that bringing you into giving you this promotion isn't another in my long list of failures were it not for the external sort of uh, confirmation that you're a smart guy by this jury of, of advertising experts. Right. I thought that was really brilliant. Uh, a brilliant twist in that scene and, and particularly um, savvy writing. And, and a, in a way, it's very painfully true. Yes. You know, it really speaks to the realities of how something like that would play out. People would already be suspect. Oh, well, wait a minute. You didn't win. Hmm. Okay. So maybe, maybe I misjudged your quality before. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, there was, there was that, Piece and I think it, you know, twisting that, that you're t- looking at that from the other side of the uh, of that particular uh, rich and poor table. You know, we're we're looking at Baxter's role. He is, uh, it, it, it's hard to make the case. I think that he is anything more than sort of a stuffed suit. Uh, you know, after you hear this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that here's a guy who clearly. Uh, has very likely made his way to his own corner office, you know, in the same, uh, probably the same way that our hero is making his way toward the corner office. It's just dumb luck and being in the right place at the right time. Especially when you compare it to what's right outside these offices, which is the army of workers in their same you know, gray blazers that they all put on in their say in that you know in their locker room before they clock in, and they all stand behind their chairs before the the work bell rings. And just like you know, uh, the laborers in a mine, when the bell rings, they all sit down and they start running on their calculators. Right, right. And that is a, a you know, there is the testament to the 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 sort of appearance of uh, the disparity between the rich and poor here. Are these you know. 
The, I think the difference between having this movie made in 1940 versus made in, uh, you know, today, uh, you can make the same movie today, and uh, in 1940, they all actually looked kind of happy. <laughs> right. They're happy little automatons. <laughs> happy little automatons. They would not yeah. be happy. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that that Betty, her little speech at that point, yeah. has it's it's a very interesting point about, you know, the it's so easy to turn into um somebody like his boss and i can't remember what his boss is his jimmy's direct boss not the big boss um jb baxter but right uh, um, uh, uh, waterbury. waterbury waterbury yeah it's so easy to turn into a, another waterbury that's what everybody out there is doing just moving up from one level to the next and they're always going to be kind of that middleman sort of guy but give Jimmy a chance it, let somebody step out of that and take off that gray suit and step out of the automaton role to show you that there's something there. And it's, it's a nice, it's a nice moment where, I mean, and you have to say that for as much as the stuff suit as JB Baxter is, he does see the value in, in taking a risk on somebody like that. And he does right. he, as, as tentative as the situation may be. And as you know, he's going to be keeping his eye on him and he's not getting the raise that he thought he was and all that sort of stuff. He is going to take a risk on him. Yeah, that is a, that, that's a redeeming segment. That's a redeeming uh, sequence. Uh, yeah. even, even though you sort of get the feeling that he's not quite sure he buys it. Uh, he knows, and it, it, so you get this feeling that he's going with he's going with his gut again. He is, and it, it's it's kind of, it's a really funny moment because even Jimmy seems like he doesn't one hundred percent buy it into his right. own right. strengths anymore. You know, he's kind of so downtrodden and everything, and it's so interesting because that whole time, remember, there's that black cat walking around the set. Like so strangely, just walking around <laughs> inside the office, and they even bring it up to the uh, the the cleaner, the janitor. What and did just he like, had this great line? What was it that he said? It's uh, like, what, oh, it's it, supposed to be bad luck, isn't it? And he's like, it all depends on what comes after. Has <laughs> the best line. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm like, that's a pretty interesting way of looking at 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 that. So, uh, and it's and and I guess you could say, you know. There could be potentially, I guess you could look at some bad luck there. And it seems like Jimmy is the sort of guy who latches on to the bad luck, right? Right. Like he seems to look at the negative of the situation. And even though his boss is giving him a chance and all that, he's still kind of, you know, a little, you know, well, I don't know if I buy into it anymore and, you know, all that. Only to find out the big twist at the end, which, you know, is only going to put him right back on top. But it's 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 a really interesting little little footnote, and the black cat's the last thing we see in the film, so it's it is kind of funny. It's an interesting little way to play that scene. It was it's uh it's it's well played, yes, it's well played. And you know, to that point, this is uh, one of my other footnotes from I think about twenty minutes ago. Mm. Uh, and and to the point about all the um, all the worker bees who don't look like they're terribly, you know, like it's like they're having that hard of a life. They were having kind of a, a tough life, and yet this movie, the way it's uh, the way it's portrayed, it really looks like it, it gives definition to actors playing a role. It, it, this movie and 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 those that are in the same sort of uh, genre that Sturgis is is on the is sort of pioneering uh, are are these wonderful, uh, sweet sort of plays uh they they are frivolous they are having such great fun and such great relief at the expense of themselves uh you know that that they are highlighting that they're that sturgis is is um you know really pushing that point of satire by by having you know dr maxford uh the introduction of dr maxford when he goes in to get his check is uh, you know, hey, uh, I'm, I'm uh, thank you for coming. And this is, you know, here's here's me, and this is so and so, my announcer. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best introductions out there. And yet, at the time, uh, you know, here we are at a time of the, uh, you know, the the depression is, uh, you know, we're we're eleven years hence, nineteen twenty nine, uh, still at at you know roughly. I don't know, falling from 20% unemployment, most of the country or much of the country, a notable portion of the country is not, uh, is not able to work. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and and here and Preston Sergis begins to provide a, uh, a distraction uh, from that. And I think it's it's uh, you know how would you comment on the role of of this film in the uh, the historical context? Well, I think it's I think it's uh, very important that whole role of how satire played of what was going on in the country. And I think that's uh, another reason why the whole idea of these poor people, you know, all of a sudden striking it rich and, and doing something good, you know, and, and, and sharing the wealth and all that. It, it, it was very uh, refreshing to see something like that in, in the face of this, you know, uh, I mean, as stuffed shirt as a stuff suit as JB Baxter is, I mean, Dr. Maxford is a hundred times, you know, all bluster and, and, you know, all about the money and, and it's, it, and seeing the play between the greedy Maxford, who, as soon as he finds out that, that this guy lost, I mean, he, he runs down there and starts like trying to rip toys out of the kids' hands because <laughs> it's his money and everything. And it's and it really speaks to I guess the mentality that people had back then and and being able to use satire I think is is um, as Preston Sturges obviously knew it's an incredible strength to to laugh at the um, the absurdity I guess of of the realities of what was going on in the world he used it time and time again I mean Sullivan's Travels which came out. I believe the very next year is a, another perfect example of that. A, a filmmaker wants to, who makes just light, fluffy comedies is sick of making light and fluffy comedies. And he wants to, he wants to disguise himself as a hobo to really learn the struggles that the real man goes through. So he can make a real powerful film uh, that'll make everybody cry. And then by the time the film ends, he learns that making people laugh is as valid as being able to make people cry. And even like the great McGinty is is all it's a big satire on on, you know, politicians and, and what you do with, you know, rising a nobody up to become a great politician. And, and all of his films or I shouldn't say all of his films, but a great many of his films really used the satire to examine what was going on at the times, whether it's, you know, the poverty that people were still dealing with from the Great Depression or the the heroic um, levels that people thrust um, supposed heroes to coming home from the war or motherhood or, you know, just all of these American ideals that he would look at and make people laugh at how absurd we were really being in some cases. And it's, it's a very smart tool. And I think it's a, it's a very tricky tool for filmmakers to use. I mean, I don't think I can, I know of very many satires that are done recently can you think of any oh gosh uh you know the, i'm thinking of oh man see i know people are gonna rise i'm thinking of the there was the clinton um uh film with uh, uh john travolta oh oh based on the book based on the book right uh there actually i think political satire political is satire all... is kind of all over the place yeah, because In the Loop, which came out a few years ago, I thought was a pretty uh, good satire on the politics of, of war and the nature of all of that, and Wag the Dog. And Yeah. Oh, that was a good one, too. I think there, it, it definitely seems to hit more in the political arena in modern times than I, – I can't think of any other satire off the top of my head that are, aren't tied into politics uh, recently. But, yeah. I mean, it is. It's a great tool. It really is. And and I think Preston Surges really knew how to use it well. Yeah, I you know, gosh, now you've got me uh, totally. I mean, would you? <laughs> now would, you're uh, Yeah, no, I'm totally. I'm perseverating on satire, so we need to start a a, a list. I, I'm sure you know. I mean, you, adaptation was a, was a satire. We've already talked about adaptation. That was a satirical True. piece. Yeah, the uh, the the. Uh, uh, see, I also I've got so sucked in on satire that now I forgot my my other point. Uh, but I I had one and it was really a zinger. It was a doozy. 
the oh yeah, yeah i remember what it was we haven't talked about we haven't talked about the line mm. about the the tagline you you when you were going over the the plot you said you know if you if you can't you read it and i do i i think that line is so telling and it i think that speaking of satirical elements in this film i think that one is really <laughs> prescient yeah uh it is the, the the whole context of his argument is that there is new science he keeps referring to this new science there's this From new a viennese article. doctor <laughs> a viennese doctor his new scientific <laughs> article he has a new paper out that says caffeine is not what keeps you awake at night and all the people around him are saying, you know, around um, uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy uh, are saying, you know, that's, uh, they 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 kind of know that caffeine key is it keeps you awake. Uh, that's sort of been determined. He said, no, 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 new new paper. It says that the caffeine isn't keeping you, or, or coffee isn't keeping you awake. And so my tagline is, if you can't sleep at night, it's not the coffee, it's the bunk. <laughs> now. I think it's a full 25 minutes, nearly halfway through the film, that he actually describes bunk as a bed. Is it? It doesn't happen in the, uh, um, it's the not first on the, scene. No, it's not his... on the roof. It's not on the roof. Oh, it's, it must be. Is it in with it, his new boss and the advertising guys? I, I, it's either in his, oh gosh, I thought it was when... Uh, um, after he gets the notice, like when everybody's around him. Right. So he hasn't gone into the office with the advertising guys yet. Uh, but see, now I need to confirm that. Anyway, it's not in the beginning because I remember being completely puzzled as I was watching this movie because I didn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. Not because I didn't get the celebration of ignorance that that line represents, which is, I think, what is the, the satirical element? It's the celebration of, of, uh, you know, uh, belief in uh, false science, um, you know, or whatever new science comes along, it's our it's our um, desire to kind of latch on and hitch our wagons to these uh, to these uh, snake oil sort of um, scientific uh, causes. But it's it's that I thought bunk was uh, another de uh, defined another way, as like, in like BS. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like you're saying, ah, it's the bunk. Like it's the it's nonsense, right? It's it's not the coffee. It's nonsense. You know, you've got nonsense in your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting. And see, this is why it's an interesting line because after thinking about it a while, because yeah, the first time I, I I watched it, I'm like, I don't think I get it either. <laughs> I think it's it's completely absurd. Yeah. And, and the the absurd the absurdity of the line is, I think, one of the the gems of it because it is so silly. Because but then you, when you do get it and realize he's talking about a bed, then it's not it's not absurd. It's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a but, bad slogan. But see, I uh, and that's what's funny is I always thought he was talking about a bed when he said it's the bunk. Until uh, until I thought about it later and I was like, oh, but it, you know, it also means like BS. And then I was right. like, OK, so. So maybe that's why it came off seeming so smart where it's like. It's it's all just the whole idea of the Viennese doctor and all that. It's just, it's just all it's all bunk you know, nonsense. It's all right. bunk. Right. Well, and here's the the beautiful twist. So Jimmy then mm -hmm. gets this great promotion at his coffee company and goes in and his first pitch meeting with the advertising uh, team uh, is to give them bread. It's bread in the bean. It's mm -hmm. the blue blood coffee. It's bread in the bean. Right. Which ends up being a beautiful tagline, a, a beautiful slogan for a, a high class coffee of the time, you know, of the sort of 1940s. It's a, it's going into right. that that sort of madman era uh, that is to come. And it, it ends up being so, the real, you know, the beauty uh, of of what Jimmy had to offer was still in his head when he wrote this nonsense slogan and submitted it to this nonsense, uh, you know, uh, competition. Right, right. And it's funny because even that one, it's bread in the bean, becomes a uh, you know the, the like the the multiple meanings of the word yes. bunk, 
it, it turns into the same thing with bread when his boss is like, is that bread? Yes, like, it has to be its bread in the bean. Otherwise, it's just bread. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, but and then you, you so know, it's, it's interesting third... how how that uh, that ends up working. But you're right. He comes up with a brilliant slogan, which ties back into the whole bit at the end. You know, just because all of a sudden he finds out that he didn't lose or that he didn't win, he doesn't have any confidence in himself anymore. And his boss doesn't have confidence in him anymore. And yet he came up with this fantastic slogan yeah. that potentially is going to be like the new slogan for the company. Yet even his boss is like, oh, well, if you didn't win the contest that I don't know if I can trust you. Yeah, because I, uh, you know? I can't trust myself. Yeah. Yeah. So our, it, our it, inability to take uh, to and that that gets back to her, uh, to Ellen Drew's um, or Betty uh, to Betty's monologue, which is you, you know give stand up for your for your own ideas, you know just stand up for yourself, uh, Mister Baxter, J B Baxter, stand up for yourself. <laughs> you love that accent, don't God, you? More than anything, oh, I do. <laughs> I do, Andrew. Makes me want to call you Andrew. Hey, my favorite is uh, Mister Bill Docker. <laughs> Oh, see, now there's a guy he's we just, need to talk about. Yeah, the great, he's just fantastic. Uh, uh, William Demarest. Yeah. There's a, there's was, a dude. He who's was one of the regulars in Preston Sturge's films. He was in a, a number of them. But uh, yeah, he plays, he plays Mr. Bill Docker, the holdout, the lone holdout on the jury. Uh, it's just great. Uh, Preston Sturges has a lot of great character names. He does. He had a, a great catalog, and and you know, speaking of Demarest, I mean, I I didn't, you know, I you, you see the guy, right? And you're like, gosh, I know that face. I, I know that face from uh, how many movies, fifty films. But then I realized I grew up with reruns of this dude on my three sons, uh, oh. Uncle Charlie. Unreal. Isn't that funny. Yeah. That's uh, takes you back. Uh, so a terrific, terrific holiday classic. We so love this movie. Yeah, it really is just a fun, easy film to watch. It's what? very easy. It's just very simple and sweet, and uh, yeah, just I really enjoy it. I and I think you know it, it, it's that uh, alternative kind of family classic again. You know, if you're going to sit down and 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 you want to watch something that just gives you a good feeling around the holiday season, this is a great uh, this is a great one to add to your list. It really is. I I think everybody everybody needs to watch it. Absolutely. The you know we didn't talk about the the production of it. I you know do like we said it was 67 minutes. It's a short film. Uh, released October of 1940. It wasn't even released in the summer. Or at Christmas time. <laughs> right, or at Christmas time. It's a Halloween film. <laughs> they they didn't go either direction. <laughs> uh, did, uh, I found it looks like it was made for around 300 grand. Is that what you you pulled from your secret uh, insider database? I, I couldn't find anything. So like oh, I said, at... I think you have a, a se an even secreter insider database. <laughs> It is most secret, uh, well, super secret. That's mm -hmm. what I got, which was one of those, uh, one of those, uh, yet another. Uh, even in those days, three hundred thousand dollars was was a um, modest investment. In, yeah, in a film, and so it uh, it it was his second, as we said, his second film, and the third. As speaking of Preston Sturgis, his third, um, uh, which was um, oh goodness. The Lady Eve. The Lady Eve. It was that set of three that that uh, really uh, set him on his, the career path. Uh, yeah, I mean, the second film. It was. It was a Christmas in July was actually based on a play that he had written that never made it to the stage. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that it, it made it, it to did the stage years I years later. in the eighties or nineties. Yeah. It um, finally was produced decades later. Yes. Uh, the. Uh, Let's see. So it was it was produced decades later. It was um uh I, I lost it was called a cup of coffee. Of yeah, a cup of coffee yeah. that he had written ten years prior. Yeah, he had written it in thirty in nineteen thirty one. Yeah, and uh, yeah, never produced. Uh, well, produced like I said, he never produced it. 
But uh, yeah, he, he really wanted to make this into a film. And when he won his Oscar for The Great McGinty, that really gave him what he needed to um, to get this film made. And it's funny because this film, to a lot of people, stands out as kind of one of his milder films that's a it's a little that people seem to be a little less fond of it almost was like kind of a forgotten film of his i think people see it as a great introduction to a lot of people that sturges ended up casting in a lot of his films like william demarest right but other than that it kind of was dismissed it's not i mean you have to acknowledge he has all these great films the great mcginty the lady eve sullivan's travels uh hail the conquering hero um even unfaithfully yours he's got a, a, a large list of just really great films this film kind of gets shuffled to the bottom by a lot of people it certainly isn't his worst film but a lot of people i kind of forget it and dismiss it as just not much but there's something just so earnest about it that i i find just so appealing and i yeah it's it really is a great film and i i think that it it certainly deserves more uh more viewers so <laughs> do it go watch it doing our part <laughs> andrew doing our part <laughs> our part for the red white and blue uh it is uh it's a great film absolutely a yeah. lot of heart definitely go check it out and um i you yeah. know that's uh, that's all i've got on this do you have any any final well words, I, I just wanted you? to just mention the talents you know dick powell yeah. this was um uh, a great film for him to come on he'd done uh you know he'd actually been around for a while but not anyone very big he had been um in a number of the busby berkeley musicals he had had his um uh, film noir uh, films like he was in uh, uh, what's the great noir film that he was in I'm blanking on it right now but um, uh, he he had a great career and it was around this time when he started getting into um, I, I think some just bigger and better films and I mean he acted all the way into the 50s and just did a lot of great films and was a great actor and uh, he even ended up directing some in the 50s as well so so that was great. And then uh, Ellen Page, or sorry, Ellen Page, Woo. flashback <laughs> to the present. Ellen Drew um, was a, a great player for the lovely Betty in this. Um, but I really think it's all of the character actors that, for me, stand out as the highlight of the film. Like you'd already mentioned, Raymond Walburn as Maxford. Uh, William Demarest as Bill Doctor, Ernest, uh, I don't know how you say his last name, Truex, Trué, yeah. as Baxter, uh, Pangborn as uh, Don Hartman, the radio announcer, who who is another of the stock company in uh, Press Sturge's films. What, what would you like, give for your own announcer? <laughs> I, I'm working, I have my Craigslist ad out to get one. So I need a I'll personal you know, announcer. I'll let you know if I have one next time. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have a stand-in for the show. That's right. That's right. Andrew Nelson is sitting next to me, and then you'll have a little golf clap, and you'll be able to <laughs> nod to the audience in your studio. It'll be great. It'll be great. All right. So, uh, so great film, and uh, you know, it was shot by uh, Victor Milner, a great uh, cinematographer who'd been around for uh, ages, working in film, um, nominated for, I believe, ten Oscars. Uh, one of which, The Furies, is just a, a great Western film. Um, he won an Oscar for Cleopatra, not the big bomb in the 60s, but actually the 1934 version. So uh, so he has been around around the block a bit, shooting a lot of Cecil B. DeMille's films and really had that Cecil B. DeMille style. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, a great team of people making a great film. Well, you know, there was there was one other sort of I I don't know if I want to just sort of hang a flag on this point, but I I think one of the things that Preston Sturgis represents in this era of sort of from the 1940s and the 1950s, um, it, one of the the bits of commentary that I read on on him was that he uh, ushered in a, a a real change uh, from this era of having the writers and having the directors. Uh, and that one dollar script that he sold uh, on the, um, you know, in, in order for him to be able to direct ended up being a 
uh, a launch for a whole new sort of set of uh, catalog of writer directors and you know really paved the way for uh you know folks like uh, you know Steven Spielberg and Woody Allen and and like you said the Cohen brothers and and uh you know even though you know prior to Sturgis there were, there is this uh you know it had been done it had never been done uh as um uh, uh it, it had never been done as sustainably well nor nor had it been done where uh the writer uh came on board as a director after already being a successful writer i think yeah. there had been writer directors like orson wells but there hadn't been somebody who was just a writer because I, I don't think they saw them as directors at that point in the studios you know right. you were a writer or a director and yes some writer directors were out there but rarely in fact like you you were just saying he was the first one to really kind of break that mold of being a writer who became a director right o oddly enough just i mean really just a year before uh john houston became a writer who turned into a writer director with the maltese falcon right right isn't that ironic isn't it don't you think <laughs> see i <laughs> handed that to you I, I know. I, I Sorry. Uh, Drop that ball. That's all right. We'll fix it in post. There we go. Uh, good good talk, Andrew. Happy holidays to you. I just got one more little blurb. To oh, read. and then I have to find out where you, uh, you know, where you can be found. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. I found a great blog. Um, it's called um, The Glorious Ninth. Uh, well, it's either called The Glorious Ninth or The Ludovico Technique, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the blog is called, but um, this person, Chase Kahn, wrote an, a little uh, blog about Christmas in July. And it's it's a great opening paragraph here because let me just read this. Beginning with a crackling opening scene between a young couple on a rooftop, it's clear that Christmas in July is a Preston Sturges film. In fact, the way the two casually yet forcefully gnaw at each other's every word with the young man's intellectual bullying taking center stage, you'd think this was the social network. Uh, interesting. You know, yeah, it, it was actually, I, I saw that and, like, and I actually forgot about it when you were um, talking about you know, who writes like Preston Sturges. Now, I don't think that, I mean, The Social Network is a is a fantastic script, and I don't think it really fits into this sort of uh, satire vibe that that we're talking about here, right? It's, it's not the same sort of film. No. Yet, Aaron Sorkin, I think, is another writer who writes, he, he has the talent to write, like Preston Sturges. He just doesn't use it quite with the satire that, uh, at least in Social Network, that that, right. uh, that Preston Sturges does. But he does know how to write crackling dialogue. So there's another writer that I, I had forgotten, but definitely should be mentioned. Well, you know, I, uh, I was going to say, as you were saying that, I was going to say the, uh, you know, I think there, there are some, there's some sketch talent uh, out there from the kids in the hall to, you know, uh, Lauren Michaels and Saturday Night Live. I mean, a decade after decade, you see these sort of standout um, uh, comedians that are able to channel satire in an interesting way. And they often, you know, they're leveraging Sturgis sort of pioneering uh, early slapstick. And yet, uh, you know, let's fast forward uh, 60, 70 years to Tina Fey. Uh, you know, with 30 Rock and what she does uh, as a satirist of uh, the commercial estate is really, uh, it, it's, some of it is just quite brilliant. Uh, and so, uh, it, you know, I think there, it's, it doesn't take long to start peeling back that, that particular um, family tree. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it definitely does still exist out there. So, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I, that's really, really, that's enough. You're right. <laughs> where where can people uh, where can people find you this holiday eve? Like you know, if we wanted to come over. 
Uh, well, at your, they, at can, your house. they can come over and have some hot cocoa at <laughs> Soda Creek Film on Twitter or Facebook at Soda Creek Film. Definitely, definitely subscribe to the show, please. Uh, as always, really helps us out if you go to iTunes and subscribe to the show there. Leave us a nice uh, red review. Leave us some nice comments and a five-star review. That, that's really handy. Helps other people discover the show. You can find me at Pete Wright. Uh, thanks so much for listening, folks, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Meow. <laughs> it's christmas evil no andy no put the yule log down (laughs) why the holiday horror andy (laughs) i've been podcasting since 2006 in that time i've tried countless hosting platforms but in august 2022 We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>